Hi, I'm Jackie Miller, and this is Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. I am thrilled to have Vanessa Reiser on this episode. Vanessa is a psychotherapist specializing in narcissistic abuse. She is also the author of Narcissistic Abuse, How to Identify, Escape, and Heal from Manipulative Toxic People. You may know Vanessa from her much-publicized 285-mile run across New York wearing a wedding dress, and she's not done yet. You can follow Vanessa on Instagram at, at Vanessa Riser LCSW and follow her upcoming run across Massachusetts and track her continued commitment to raise awareness about narcissistic abuse. Okay, hello Vanessa Riser. Thank you so much for joining me on Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it is so cool that you are joining me to hang out with uh, this audience. I know that you are a wealth of information and you're doing such good work and I'm so excited to get into all of it. You're a mom, you are narcissistic abuse survivor, you are an author of a book called Narcissistic Abuse, How to Identify, Escape, and Heal from Manipulative and Toxic People. And if people don't know who you are from all of that, they probably know you because you ran 285 miles across New York in a wedding dress to raise awareness, correct? Yes, I did. <laughs> that is so freaking awesome. You are such a badass. <laughs> I know. I remember when I did that run, one of my um, friends and followers showed up on the run and she's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I thought I was crazy. And I said, you're not crazy. I'm crazy. Look what I'm doing. <laughs> but it was really a great experience. That is amazing. So would you mind even telling me, so how did it come about that you came up with that idea? Because I did see that you've done Ironman twice. Is that correct? Dang. Yeah. I, I came up with the idea on a run. It was in the middle of COVID and I had just fled from this, you know, toxic environment and I was just in my head and I thought, how can I shine a light on this? You know, I felt very compelled being a therapist that I had like this sort of duty to warn and like, you know, get into this advocacy stuff. So when I graduated from University of Southern California, it was with a community organizing focus. And so the advocate in me was like fired up. I was like, this has got to be, we have to do something and shine a light on it. So that I came up with this kind of kooky idea. I went into one of those super famous places that they tailor clothing in Manhattan. They do most of Broadway. And I asked them if they could hack the wedding dress. And I was in there with a mask, you know, during COVID. And they said, yeah, we'll do it you know, we'll do it for free. We really want to see you. And I was crying. I just felt very seen and heard. So it wasn't just for at that time, the victims, the si many silent victims, it was my own healing journey at that time. Now it's really transformed into helping others. But in that moment, I was still reeling from, you know, this process and, and kind of trying to figure out what was even going on and to feel seen and heard by so many people. And at one point my son was like, mom, you're trending. And I was like, Oh, what does that mean? You know, like <laughs> it was cool. And it was, it was at that time, it was very transformative to sit in my head and all those miles and kind of process everything going on. And we, you know, subsequently did New Jersey, Connecticut, and we're doing Massachusetts in June this year. So 
will keep at it. At some point, uh, my my feet will probably fail. So I'd love to pass the baton. So if anybody wants to run in a wedding dress across any of these states, please feel free to message me. You know what? That's actually an amazing idea. Yes. If anybody would like to run and pass the baton, California may be the vertical, not so such a good idea. That's right. Maybe the, maybe the horizontal, maybe from just like, right. to go east. That is amazing. What a great idea. So other people then join you on this run? Yeah, there were okay. um, people that would uh, join me on the run here, there and everywhere. People did it virtually as well. Oh. Um, so you can always join me virtually this year. I usually do it on Narcissistic Abuse Awareness Day, which is June 1st. So on or about mm-hmm. June 1st this year, we're going to traverse Boston with my team who are so supportive and wonderful. We have such a blast. It's so much fun. It really is cool because you look like a loon. People are honking. They have no idea what's going on. This woman right. is just running around with like a veil. But you know, but- that's the beauty of it because they go, what is going on? And then a lot of them try to figure it out. And it's cool because in today's day and age, you just pop open your phone and say, woman went running in a wedding dress and you're going to pop up. And this is actually such a full circle moment for me too, because when I was, it was just dawning on me what the hell was going on in my marriage. And I was trying to escape as well. I was Googling all this stuff and you came up and I thought, oh my God, that's so great that somebody's like doing something totally shocking almost, you know, for lack of a better word, that it does raise awareness because you're like, what the hell's a woman doing running in her wedding dress? It works. <laughs> yeah. I think it really did sort of, for me, check other boxes too, because I love to run. It really is my therapy and the other therapies, but yeah, that, that, that is a therapeutic experience for me. So selfishly it still works. I, I just enjoy it. Yeah. That is awesome. And you also then wrote a book and when did that come about? Your narcissistic abuse, the book about yeah. narcissistic abuse. One of my best friends is a literary agent and she was pitching it to all of the bigger publishing companies, The Run, right? So she she sort of capitalized for me on The Run and she's so brilliant, Kelly. And she really helped me to put myself out there in front of publishing companies. And it got picked up by Hachette, which is one of the top four publishing companies. So I wrote a book. It took a really long time and it really fuses the concepts of narcissistic abuse and cult abuse. So people don't understand really that you're in a cult of one when you're in these intimate relationships because they're using sort of age old tactics that cult leaders use. All cult leaders are narcissists, sociopaths, or psychopaths. All cult leaders. They just have managed to manipulate the masses. There are small cults. We saw this with the stolen youth cult We saw this with Manson, sort of these like little, you know, cultlets, these little pockets of people. So it's really no different when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you are being controlled in your mind the same way you might could be in a cult. So you're in a cult of one, or if you're in a family that's being sort of driven by a narcissist, a sociopath or a psychopath, then you're in that family dynamic. That too is like a smaller cult could be five people. But I think people really don't understand that. You know, you could be super smart, Vanessa Riser, you know, highly educated badass and still get mind controlled. So it really matters not. There are, I have plenty of very, very wealthy, established, intelligent clients that come to me and are totally duped by a grifter or con person. So it it sort of runs the gamut. And I think it's important for people to understand that it is being in a cult. And there's a lot of shame that that people carry, but around, I was never in a cult. Oh yeah, you are. You just didn't realize it, but the book is really designed to shine a light on fusing those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. And you just said so many things I want to touch on one. I agree. I have 
multiple clients that are therapists. I have multiple clients that are psychiatrists. I have multiple clients who are attorneys. I have, and I know that you feel, and one thing I love to say is that all of them are extremely intelligent and it does not matter. In fact, I want your opinion on this. I have this theory that these kind of people almost love to go after like intelligent, you know, it's, do you think it, is it either like it makes them look good or is it a challenge for them to go after these people who are extremely intelligent, almost conquering someone whose mind they can control. That's, that's a challenge for them. What is it? I have a little bit of a different theory. I think they cast out a lot of lines, right? And so the person who bites, so just picture somebody just sort of throwing out lines everywhere, whoever sort of bites is the supply because or the main supply and they sort of have this gaggle of supplemental supplies there's always somebody feeding them at all times so it could even be a business partner a child you know they're kind of exploiting and manipulating on the periphery so there's the main supply who in an intimate relationship would be you know the the wife or the fiance or the girlfriend and then there's these others, but I I don't know that they discriminate. I don't know that they discriminate on sex or identity, gender identity. I don't think that they discriminate on anything other than does this have a pulse and are they going to buy my bullshit? Mm, that's a good point. And also with the shame, I just, I felt it, you know, I see it in all of my clients' faces and in their words. What do you have to say to people who are victims of this that are feeling so much shame? about this relationship cut it out <laughs> yeah it, because it's really not adding any value there are in fact i could shift the perspective on that really quickly what it really tells me about people is that they're very empathetic right so you know it's i understand and honor having shame around it however it really goes it goes towards your you know being able to forgive and be empathetic and be loving and, and kind. So I think those are positive attributes. So a, a good example of this was Mark Vicente from the Nexium cult, who sort of not only dealt with Keith Raniere, but also was recruiting people, you know, like pulling people into. So I have to imagine there's a level of shame that comes even from, you know, doing the, you know, aiding and abetting your abuser, and like a lot of people do this in the intimate relationship, they will help their abuser to abuse their the, the abuser's ex, right? So getting involved in the court cases and sort of, so they have even like an, a layer, like a tear up of like shame around when, when you go through that. But I, I think you just, you don't know what you don't know what you don't know. And so I don't think it's going to add any value in terms of healing to live in shame. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. In fact, it means you're probably a, a good person and that's why you were able to be manipulated. No, it's true. I always say this is a really messed up compliment that they targeted you because it means you're awesome. It means you're smart. It means you're empathetic. It means you're a really good person, but it's the truth. It's horrible that that's the target on your back. But I know for me, I had to come to the realization that it was a lesson eventually I had to learn. I, you know, as, as much as, you know, maybe my ex is at, at fault for so many things and not a good person. I feel like it, if it wasn't him, it might've been someone else. Cause I, unfortunately I had this lesson to learn. I had the people pleasing, you know, the no boundaries, the, you know, kind of stuff. And, and it's unfortunate, you know, for sure. And it's not okay. 
that they treat people that way. But I just, I know for me, it's something I had to accept that I had, there were some lessons still I had to learn in life. Yeah, I, I could, I can understand that. And I think that's a great perspective is to just look at it as an opportunity to grow. And I think also having gone through that portal, which it sometimes feels like, it's like you now have a new ability to assess. And actually, Dr. Ramani and I were talking about this at dinner. Yes, we are friends. I saw um, you on her podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the shame that people carry. And not just the shame that people carry, but people do this thing, you know, Vanessa, not everybody's a psychopath, you know, this kind of stuff. As I'm sort of in the dating world, like you can't, and she and I are in agreement Um on the idea that if you get nothing else from this, you get to be uh, really careful and mindful about who you let into your circle. If you get nothing else, you trust your intuition and, you know, pay attention to the things you've learned. Don't get sort of caught up in this narrative of like, you know, not everybody's a psychopath and, you know, you have to, you know, forgive and I'm going to, I'm going to listen to myself and be really careful. So I think it's a gift in some ways now that we have this like ability to assess. Sure. And the trust your instinct thing is so important because I feel like we do all have really good instincts to begin with. But unfortunately, I you know I ignored mine on many levels going through my relationship and getting back to that is so important. And like, okay, now I'm going to listen and now I'm going to like, you know, take it seriously and do something about it when red flags go up or, you know, I just get that feeling in my gut. So yeah, it's such a were- good point. There were red flags, I would say, probably around four months. So I tell people when they're dating to take notes, you know, in your phone, like little pink flags so that you can sort of look for patterns and don't ever just like gloss over it, you know, write it down because we'll forget. It's like it's death by a thousand cuts. So you want to make sure you're kind of documenting what's going on. And then at around four months, you know, kind of maybe fake a cough or see how they deal with you being sick or a little like a little fracture in their fantasy world. But yeah, like I do, I pay attention to those kinds of um, timelines, red flags, pink flags. I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still really careful about who I let in. Absolutely. Something else in your book I know that I love is that you talk about, you know, how to get away and sort of get, and what do you have to say to people who are maybe in the relationship right now in terms of escaping? Yeah, I would say hide money, hide your precious belongings. I kept hearing when I was enduring this, like little whispers of like, hide the baby pictures because my son is 24 years old. So he has real physical pictures. You know, that's not a thing anymore, but there were like bins and bins and bins of, you know, cherished um, sentimental belongings that I had in the house. Um, I have an $8,000 triathlon bike, you know, there were things that I I kept hearing it like a little whisper, like put it somewhere, you know, protect these things. And that little whisper ended up oh, saving me so much heartache because I started to things away. So you want to really get, you know, a therapist, first of all, that's going to understand this because you need to be coached on how to get an attorney and hide things, including money and record things, document things get the passport, get the kids, you know, prepare. It's a big thing because it's not, the abuse really doesn't even start until you try to get away. It's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother ball game. Oh my gosh. So true. And that's so interesting. You said that because it's not just things of value, the bike, it's things that are extremely important to you. And that's so interesting that your instincts were like, this is something that's so interesting that I can't replace. They're hard copy pictures. Like I said, back in the day. And for some reason, you knew deep down 
that it would be something, and that is, that's exactly what they do. Something that he would try to harm or take away from you. Oh yeah. And that was, there were things that I knew that I never got back that were definitely thrown in the fire pit. I mean, I could just feel it in my gut that those things were um, seriously destroyed, but I was able to, you know, save the things that I cherished. And as I, you know, kind of look back, those, those were um, way more important than, you know, the Ferrari and all of the garbage and superficiality that was that that was that I was caught up in it was these precious items my son's like Pikachu that he would drag around and like his art projects and you know we just we made a human cell out of like styrofoam balls and that kind of stuff I can never ever replace and so yeah those were those are the kinds of things that you don't realize that will be wrecked because it's just a nuclear fallout when you go through that post-separation abuse it's like it's for sports anything that you care about i mean look at the the cult leader they will collect collateral to blackmail you they will you know take videos of you and leverage that against your children and they will they are really ruthless and they've been doing it for so long so they're particularly good at it and you're never going to be as good at it as you think you're going to be so be as good as you can and get support from people who have studied it like i really think psychopath now i can think okay this is based on the work that i do and seeing how they manage you know and prepare the smear campaign let's say long before they're even breaking up with you and discarding you or vice versa they are laying the groundwork the entire time for the destruction of this relationship for sport for sport i mean this is their thing it's a playground so I'm pretty good at thinking a psychopath and even I will miss shit. And I mean, I look at world leaders that are particularly dangerous and I think about um, what, you know, kind of carnage they could create. It's really scary stuff. But I, even myself, as skilled as I feel I am, I would never be able to imagine some of the stuff that they think about. Yeah. And, you know, another in that thread, one thing I noticed is because they love to create narratives during the relationship or marriage or whatnot that say aren't even true. So, for example, say you messed up a birthday birthday date that the whole family is supposed to go to for a neighbor kid, right? Like if it, And they will take one tiny thing and make it like you can't keep anything together. You can't. You are so unorganized. You always mess stuff up. Why can't you just put something in a calendar? You're always and the repeat, the repeat, the repeat of the brainwash. Next thing you know, there's this narrative. You missed one birthday party. You start to wonder yourself, right? Maybe I am really unorganized. Maybe I really am a shit show. And but and then they will take that stuff later in the post-separation abuse. And you, so you're right. It's mind-blowing the groundwork that's being laid mm -hmm. to use later. I remember figuring that out um, when I got left in Cape Cod. I got back home. And it was many months later when I was going through the post-separation abuse. And I realized I better go do one of those FOIL requests or Oprah requests in the state of New Jersey where you can kind of dig up police reports. And I got the police were called that day and I got the police report back and it said that I was drinking. And I was like, wow, it was a Tuesday morning and I had to drive six hours from Cape Cod to get my monkey ass back. And I wasn't drinking and nobody likes to drink more than Vanessa. Like I was, I'm, I'm let's have wine. Like, but I just, that narrative was going to be the narrative and that was how this was going to be played out. And I thought it was chilling to see that this, this, this groundwork was being laid all of those months ago and other things were being laid all of those months ago. And it's really, really hard when you're 
outspoken, tough woman, because a lot of times if you're dealing specifically with a covert narcissist, they will easily shift that. Like I would even believe, yeah, Vanessa's probably, I mean, look at her. She's kind of a jerk, right? So that kind of stuff really would work in my case. So it was chilling because I am so outspoken and I am so tough that it was going to, you know, you could, it could look like you're being victimized by me. And that it would freak me out in those, those months. Thankfully, nobody was subscribing to it. And I don't think, you know, it does now, but it, it scared me to think, you know, that that was going to be the narrative. I was really freaked out by that, but they do, they start this very early on. It's not the smear campaign people think is starting at the end of the relationship. It is not. They are laying that groundwork. They are telling family members that you are not well. They are telling family members that you don't cook. They are telling family members whatever they want to perpetuate for later on. So they can be like, oh, I told you. They will even, this is a good one. They will even tell the new supply that they that their ex, their crazy ex, puts them on dating app and actually puts them on things that so that when they get caught, yeah, oh. this, I told you, I think a psychopath. Damn. So when they get caught, they can say, well, you know who did that? Oh, I always say, why am I so shocked? I'm shocked. I'm not shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> that is so, wow. And it makes, sense. yes, absolutely. It makes perfect sense that they would do so. I mean, I always say like energy it must take when they lay at bed at night and conjure these things up, like the amount of like mental space and the energy it takes is just mind blowing. They enjoy that. That's yeah. their game. This is a playground. They are like, what kind of chaos am I going to cause tomorrow? Yep. Yep. And you're right. And, and, and just how it's been going on all along. And I'll remember it was a couple years after my divorce and I was hanging out with them. I would say the couple that I got in the divorce, a couple, you know, you get some couples, they get some couples <laughs> and we were out all on a bike ride. And I would say they, I was always say, who's babysitting me this weekend? Cause I was single. Right. And I'd be going out with my couple friends. And so I was being babysat by some friends of mine one weekend, we're all out on a bike ride. And, and the husband starts to tell me that years before they were all on a daddy daughter trip and the kids were all playing and my ex out of nowhere starts this like, you guys know, you guys don't really understand what it's like to live with Jackie. You did, And he said, they were like, what's going on? What is he doing? And thank God a lot of people don't subscribe, but they just test the waters to see who does. And he said, the other dads and I were looking at each other like, does he really believe that we think that Jackie's the awful one? Luckily, luckily in that case, they didn't believe it, but you were just testing the waters. Who can I sprinkle seeds in to let everyone think, everyone think she's psycho or she, wow. Yeah. And it starts very early on. I put that in my book. The smear campaign is not post relationship. It starts very early on and they try to shift that narrative. They do it with their own children. I would say with a high level of frequency, especially if they're grooming those children, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky because it's hard to describe something that you could barely process yourself. Yeah. How do you get other people to see it when you yourself are still trying to figure out what the hell even happened? Right. And because the crazy narrative has usually been going on for a while, you have to be careful the way that you articulate these issues because it just, they've already got that seed planted and it's very easy to look crazy as you're talking about this stuff. Yeah. I oftentimes still on occasion, far less than originally, but I still have a lot of trauma. So I oftentimes will sometimes I, on some occasions I'll be talking to my friends and I sound exactly like my clients and I, and then I have to kind of 
you know, let them <laughs> let myself kind of, you know, have at it. And then, you know, my friends are so amazing and they kind of let me do that. But I think it's, it happens less and less, but it, it's really, really hard to process even mm. now. I mean, I think the biggest part for my clients and, and myself is the injustice of how, and, you know, and that's what uh, Courtney, my, our friend Courtney Gilmartin is working on in terms of the coercive control stuff in the courts, but that's really going to be the ground zero for healing for people is to see justice happen. Absolutely. And so I'm glad you brought up Courtney, because uh, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast, she was the last guest I had on the last episode, and you guys have been working together. What are you doing together? Well, she and I are just starting to kind of collaborate, I think, because I'm sort of kiss and vinegar. And she's kind of like really has this really sweet and solid disposition and a very level head. I think, you know, the, the combination is great. My clinical expertise and her um, dealing with the law specifically is going to go a long way because when my clients come to me, they are dealing mostly with the judicial system. I would say by and large, that's the biggest issue they're facing. And so we try to um, arm them with biopsychosocials and understanding around the law and PTSD, which is a diagnosis, one of the only, or the only diagnosis that has liability because something or someone caused it. But so there's a lot of like, I think, power in collaborating and people locking arms to, you know, be involved in this movement to shine a light on it. But the judicial system is really it's really corrupt. I mean, it is so broken and it's causing so much damage. It's essentially human trafficking and domestic terrorism, period. People are making a ton of money off the, of the exploit, exploitation of children. And it's horrifying to witness. I saw in my own case, a judge that totally got it wrong. And I couldn't believe how offensive it really felt like you got raped and then you went into the courtroom and then they said to you, well, why were you wearing that? You shouldn't have been wearing that. And so you get this compounded trauma. So you're going through this abuse and then you look to the people who are supposed to protect you and they make it worse. And so how do you manage that? How do you um, recover? Of course, you're going to sound crazy. You have trauma. Of course, you're going to you know, break down. How could you not? I mean, it's a really, it's a really horrifying scenario, really a nightmare for a lot of people. And I, I don't have a horse in the race in that regard. My son's father and I co-parent phenomenally and I have no issues, but I see these people struggling. And if I tell my heart breaks, I'm sure you've seen it. I do. And sometimes I just have to stop after a few clients and take a walk and a deep breath because the conversations I have are so unbelievable as we're talking about, I'll just say mothers afraid to talk about abuse of their children and themselves in the court system because they will be punished. And and as we talk through it, and yes, and we talk strategy because that is the reality. And we talk about what they're doing with how to protect themselves and how they're working with their attorney. And, and then I just, I have to go for a walk and think, am I having conversations over and over again about how do you protect yourself from having your children taken away because they're being abused and the court's going to give them to the abuser. Like I just, I, you know, I have to go do something. Like you said, go for a run, go work out, go have a glass of wine with friends, something to get my mind off it because there's, it's so irrational. You can't spend too much time on just, you, you just have to focus on it and help people. You can't because it's so irrational. Yeah. I have, I have a client. She's in her seventies. She's been dealing with legal abuse for the last nine years. I think there's over 2000 motions filed. And we talk about how for, you know, sometimes we talk about her faking her own death 
to get out of this because there's almost no other way. I mean, these are literally the conversations I have with my clients. When I spoke to Dr. Romney about a recent court battle that I was involved in, she said to me, she's like, the only advice I give people is, as it relates to family court is don't go. I mean, it's, it's so scary to say, but it doesn't, it's not a utility. It is literally designed to harm you. And so if you can avoid it, don't go, don't file the restraining order. I, I mean, it's, that's scary. These are the conversations because as soon as you step foot in there, you're just going to be punished by everyone around you. You know, in court, it was like, okay, Miss Riser, you call yourself a therapist. You do, you do, fa- you do couples counseling, Miss R- I mean, it's like you're dragged through the mud. I mean, I still have a $115,000 student loan. I call myself a hell of a good therapist. Like imagine, I mean, it's, it's my calling. I literally love what I do in every regard. And imagine, you know, these fools not even having any idea what they're talking about, you know, shaming a victim. So this, and I'm pretty powerful in terms of my voice and, and my, even just my disposition. And I was really horrified by that experience. So imagine, you know, not having any of the credentials and not having, and having the potential to lose your children. I can't even imagine I would, I think I would lose it. I'm not kidding. So I I really give my, my clients so much credit. They're warriors. Oh, 100%. I just so many people out there just fighting for their lives, their kids' lives, you know, figuratively, but, and, and literally in some cases, as we know, which is so sad. And so I just really appreciate the work that you're doing too. It's amazing. Thank you. And, you know, like you said, piss and vinegar is awesome because we just, we need to raise our voices and, and, and get together and collaborate. So I love that you and Courtney are doing that. And I want you to talk to about when did you, you're the CEO and founder of teletherapist. How did that come about? When did you found that? So this was in 2019. I started to think about opening up my own practice and I was working before that at the Jewish board in the Bronx at an outpatient mental health clinic, very triage style. So we got gangbangers and, you know, trauma left and right. And I mean, just working in the city was just the best job. I mean, I had like, you know, I was in the belly of the beast, as they say, and there were so many things happening and it was really a good lesson out of um, church program to kind of get involved in that. And I was also working at a satellite program at the High School of American Studies in the Bronx, which is an amazing institution you have to test in. So you can't just buy your way in. And so a lot of like, you know, I think it puts out more Nobel Peace Prize winners than any institution. So there were a lot of really smart kids going to Yale and wow, that was a cool experience. And then High School of American Studies in the city doing uh, a school social work. So I you know started there and then I opened up my own practice and um, I always knew that I was going to have to then deal with white people problems after leaving the Bronx. And I, you know, kind of didn't realize that it was going to turn into this niche that I am now doing based on my, you know, experience. But yeah, that's how it started. And and it was uh, on a run as well that I came up with the punny little teletherapist thing because it was all going to be telehealth. At that time, COVID hadn't even occurred. Oh, wow. Uh, So it was like a little bit ahead of its time. And so, yeah, and and that's how it came to be. Okay. That is amazing. So, and I know that you, there, there, you have a few therapists then working at that. And just so everybody knows it's tell it's tell us that I'm sorry, teletherapist.net. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. And there are clinicians that work under me. One of them specifically is my right hand person. Cause she does a lot of the narcissistic abuse as well. And we are hiring. So. Okay. And so then how I know that you are licensed in, I have it here, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts and Florida. Okay. 
but people can call from all over the country. How does that work? Or yeah, I can provide life coaching out of the states that I'm not licensed in. Right. Um, I was trying to get licensed in all the states, but it's just cumulative, so they want everything. It's just such a bureaucratic mess. I don't know why they un they should really just unhand this based on COVID, but it's a money maker. So here we are. But I can still provide life coaching, and I have my own referrals ther uh, service at teletherapist.org, which is the nonprofit that I run where we consult and send people to a narcissist savvy clinician in your respective state. Okay. Awesome. That is amazing. Again, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. What else do you want people to know that are going through this, whether they're, you know, just trying to leave or they're in the thick of it or trying to heal after what message do you have for them? I'd say it takes a long time to heal, but it takes longer if you don't do the work. So studying it, don't be afraid to study it. I would say 80% of your energy should be in studying it for a while because you want to get clarity. And once you really get the clarity, then you can sort of titrate off of it and then shift into moving beyond it. But don't be afraid to study it. I find people who sort of sweep it under the rug, find themselves in these relationships again, two, three, four, five times. <laughs> so uh, just don't be afraid to lean into, you know, getting clarity around it. And then I just want you to know that you're not alone. There are so many people that have gone through this that are coming out of the woodwork now that maybe didn't even realize they had a narcissistic family member, et cetera. So I just want people to know that I believe you um, and that there's you know light at the end of the tunnel. You can look for those little God winks and silver linings along the way because they are there. I love that God winks. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Okay, so people can find you on Instagram at, at Vanessa Riser and it's R-E-I-S-E-R-L-C-S-W, correct? And how can they contact you or find out more about the run? So I usually post it on my Instagram, but if you want to find me, you can email me at Vanessa at tell t-e-l-l a therapist.net and you can look for my book it's on pre-order on amazon it's called narcissist that's the name awesome and i will be putting it on my website as well on my recommended readings at um, jackiemillercoaching.com so go to amazon go to my website wherever you guys want and and get her book for sure because it's got everything from the the learning that she just told you to do to, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of all kinds of other things of how to deal with this and heal and, and escape, which again, I love because that's, I know that's just a big question in women's minds about how am I, how am I going to get out of here? It took me 12 years of my 16 year marriage. Oh, wow. So yeah. Yeah. I knew it was going to be a shit show. Guess what? I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always gnarly to get out of that the clutches of that. So good on you that you managed to do that because that time was going to pass with or without you getting out of there anyway. So exactly. I know. And then we could, it's another podcast, get into the whole kid <laughs> thing and everything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But Hey, just so you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I agree with that. It's not an easy journey, but it's worth it to get out. In my opinion, I know it's scary. Please be safe, but yeah, yeah. Get out here. And because there are a lot of us out here that want to help. So Thank you so much, Vanessa, for coming on the podcast. I hope that you'll come back again soon. I'd love to have you again. And good luck with the run. I can't promise I'm going to be a part of it. <laughs> That's okay. You'll be there in spirit as well. I will. I'll be cheering you on. Okay. Thank you so uh -huh. much. We'll talk soon. <laughs>